2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner.
3: And I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Doug, I brought an article with me today uh, that comes in my uh, investment. Um, envelope once a month, and they had an interesting conversation with some advisors, some money managers.
1: So what'd you find out?
3: Well, they were giving their best investing advice, and they said um, that there were certain principles that uh, are pretty universal and that most people should use, uh, and, and while these were plain at the beginning, they gave us a little information. They said to start early, do your research. Mm-hmm. Seek professional advice, mm-hmm. be appropriately diversified, mm-hmm. and then have the right allocation for your investment needs and time frame. Well, I like that. Yeah, it kind of sums everything up that we, we tend to speak to our clients about. you know. And, and most of these um, professionals, when they were asked to share their advice, they said that there were some key lessons- And the first lesson was don't invest in only one theme, T-H-E-M-E. Well, you know, Deborah, I agree because if you've been giving advice
1: for as many years as I have, you realize exactly that. If your investment return is going to hinge on whether just one theme pays off, then you may have too much riding on a single idea for sure.
3: You know what comes to mind when you talk about a theme is those folks who will come to see us and they'll say, you know, I've been working for this employer, right? perhaps in a Utility company <laughs> or pharmaceutical company, <laughs> right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, some big ones that are in the area, and they'll right. say, "Oh, and guess what I've been doing? I've been purchasing my company's stock in my um, employer's four hundred one k plan." We
1: hear it all <laughs> boom, the time. Boom, boom. Recipe for disaster. All right. And even if you're going to get all of your mutual funds in the uh, pharmaceutical area, industry or correct. Of the, I mean, you don't bet on a theme because if that's the case, then really. You should look at your portfolio as a whole and be confident as to how the portfolio can perform under various scenarios, different types of scenarios. And the job of your mutual fund is going to be to make money for you. But don't bet all on one mutual fund or one theme of one fund.
3: Then the next piece of advice was to seek skilled professionals.
1: Well, I really like that because... Uh, These professionals, such as myself and some of these that you're talking about, we're better positioned to make investment decisions because it's our area of skill. These are people who spend all day, every day, looking at corporate bonds or companies in which to invest, and they should help make those decisions for you. That's what you're really doing. When you put money in a mutual fund, you're really uh, giving money to professionals that are watching what stock, what bond, their research, and they're working on your behalf. That's right. that's, That's who they are. Now, for a mutual fund investor it's really wise to look for a fund that has objectives consistent with your own investment goals that's managed skillfully by professionals that you can trust. That's also very important.
3: Okay, when we say goals, are those some of those large terms that we hear different mutual funds are in categories? For example... Uh, growth versus growth and income. Yes.
1: You remember the clients that we had last week, and they wanted us to talk to their children, their adult children, and the goals of the adult children, of course. 100%
3: growth. Growth.
1: But on the other hand, the parents, no, 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 no. That's a little too risky. Their goals were more growth and income.
3: Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: Now, you don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, if you know what I mean. I
3: do, I do. Yeah. So, if even if you didn't get the perfect scenario or the perfect situation, good is good enough.
1: Yeah, focus on your investment strategy, act on it, and stay on your path to those goals. If you're on that path... Don't dwell on other decisions that you could have made. Investors, you know, Deborah, can be very self-critical.
0: And that's because
1: in hindsight, everything is clear. (laughs) Right. But rarely is it clear at the time that you have to make that decision. So it's all right to give yourself a bit of a break if you're progressing toward those goals, whether it be in automatic pay-yourself-first investing, mm-hmm. whether it's through 401k investing, uh, but you should always be working towards your goals and hiring a certified financial planner. You know,
3: that's probably the one that we hear the most. Boy, I wish I'd come to see you guys earlier. How many times have we heard that? And we that? always say the same thing. Well, no, no, it's okay. You start now and you move forward. That's
1: right. It's it never there, too late to get advice. It's never too
3: late. Well, the next piece of advice was invest invest. In people who you think will run the business well. Now, this is from the investment managers of this large mutual fund company. Uh And they were saying, invest in people who you think will run the business well. So, they were talking about the investments we choose.
1: Very good. Well, (coughs) excuse me. Life is too short to invest in companies run by people that you don't trust or who won't run the the business well. It's an extraordinary axiom for long-term investing, Effective management often has common attributes. They don't do vanity acquisitions. They're cognizant that it's the shareholder's money. They have a tendency to avoid the spotlight. Management's all about doing things right, but leadership is about doing the right things. And so we want to differentiate between management and leadership.
3: Another point that they brought to our attention was look to the future. And here I think they were saying... Uh, That if you're looking at the future of the, from their point of view, the future of the companies that they're trying to add to the portfolios, Uh it's the same perspective that we want to look to who's managing our money. When we are looking for uh, mutual fund companies, a mutual fund company that might be better suited for us is one that's got plenty of diversification in the types of funds so that we could then know that we, uh, as our life changed, we could have lots of options.
1: That's good, Deborah, because hearing management's plans for the future can be a very stimulating discussion. While the present is useful in the short term, it's not as relevant as the long term for making successful investments.
3: And that's really what investing is all about, the long term. It is. It It really is. is. Their last piece of advice is one that we often um, repeat frequently, and it's the don't be greedy. And the don't be greedy really has a whole story behind it. It refers to how we think about investing. So among other things, if you want this last bit of upside of a stock that's done extremely well, don't be reckless or get too aggressive. Market cycles tend to go in a fear then hope then greed cycle and so that and that cycle will repeat itself so when the market is in a greedy phase it may be time to be careful when the market is fearful like what's going to happen next it may be a good time to buy so well, these were all their pieces of advice. I, I, like,
1: I like that investment advice that those managers have been uh, giving to others through the years. I like it very much. I do.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. You're listening
2: to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're going to take a caller right now.
1: Steve, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening?
4: Good evening. How are you? All right. Um, it's clear in the case of an insurance salesman or a stockbroker or a lawyer how they get paid. In the case of a Certified Financial Planner, you're giving a variety of advice, and you may advise to purchase products or something from another individual. How are you compensated? What it, how do you go about getting a Certified Financial Planner for yourself?
1: Financial planners can be paid in one of three ways, and actually, there are all sorts of variations on those ways. First of all, there is what's called the fee-only planner. The fee-only planner will be paid either on an hourly basis, or he may be paid or she may be paid on a flat basis, which is for a project. Let's say that uh, you come with a series of questions you want asked and, and you want some analyses run and so forth and he can quote you how much time it will take or how over what period or or what his flat fee might be to do that. Some fee-only planners do what they call a percent of assets. So if you're going into a long-term financial planning relationship, some will go ahead and charge you anywhere from, say, uh, three-quarters of a percent of your assets to, I've heard, as high as 3% of your assets. You really have to sort of walk through what type of Arrangements you want with a fee only planner. And I will say this some fee only planners do something called money management, where you sign over discretion and then they charge you a percent of assets for managing the money, but not so much the financial planning component. It's just the money management component. Okay. Okay. Now you have the other kind of planners. You have those that will go ahead and charge on what they call a fee commission basis. And that's where they may be a reduced fee where they're charging you, again, either hourly or on a flat fee basis. But because the advice will contain some investment or some insurance or some implementation of something, they're going to be doing the implementation for you. So if it's disclosed to you up front and agreeable, then they can give you a reduced fee because there'll be commissions that you're going to have to pay to somebody. Sometimes you can go ahead and just have the advice given to you, and you take the advice, and you go over to your local stockbroker or your insurance agent, and you pay the commission. But Other people say, well, if I'm going to have to pay it over there, is there a way I could get a reduced fee and let the implementation be done through the planner giving the advice? And there are planners. I would say most planners work in that way. Uh, then you have, and I don't really agree with this third method, but I've heard it said that there are those who are commission-only planners. I don't think you can be independent if everything that you're doing uh, is based upon some sort of implementation, some sort of a sale. Right. Because then you're commission-driven. Uh, I don't ever recommend it. I know I myself will never do that. Now, I, I, Linda and I have never done that.
2: Steve, when you're looking at, at a financial planner, find out how long have they been a certified financial planner? Did they just get their certification last month? Or have they been in the industry for a while? Because that will determine what is their expertise, right, Doug?
1: It is. Another good thing is the question of what does the planner do? Planners are trained, especially certified financial planners, are trained to produce financial plans. Now, a financial plan is a document. It's a written document. Uh, Ours in our office cover 13 sections of the client's financial life. And that document is a series of analyses and recommendations.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
1: Then there's the ongoing reviews and the reports and the monitoring and the tracking and the ongoing planning through the years. So when interviewing planners, you should look at a sample financial plan You should find out how many plans the planner produced this past year for clients. And you should look at the ongoing planning reports that the planner provides to his clients. And then, of course, you should make sure that you get client references and speak to clients who have been with the planner for a minimum of two, three, or four years.
4: How could you be confident that a fee and commission financial planner would be working in your best interest instead of simply the best interest of the product he's selling?
1: The only way that you can ever be confident of someone not taking advantage of you is really through experience. So, And I don't mean to hedge that question, but you've got a problem of the cost. If a person wants to work on a straight fee-only basis, many people can't afford it. Right. And then to work on a fee-only basis and then to go elsewhere and also pay commission, some don't. Questions that I would ask, though, is, is the planner at all connected with any investment products that he recommends? For example, let's say that he's at a brokerage firm and he calls himself a financial planner. Well, obviously, he's going to be recommending the products of that brokerage firm. Correct. Uh, Let's say that he's got an insurance affiliation and uh, this is his main business. And I would also say one of the things you can do is you can look at the planner's revenues. Ask the planner, where do you get the bulk of your income from, from fees or from commissions?
2: Our number here in Raleigh, uh, if you'd like to give a call, is uh, 872-7000. That's USA-7000.
1: Does that help, Steve? Okay, that's very good. I appreciate your time there. Oh, you're sure welcome. Thank Thank you you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.
3: Did you have anything on uh, retirement planning?
1: Well, you know, retirement planning, of course, is the other side of the world, Deborah. There's investment planning, and that just focuses on the... Uh, the investment portfolio, okay. the, the the investments themselves, but quite frankly, retirement planning is about the people whose money it is, not the not the money itself. And so, unfortunately, I'm realizing that most people only think they know certain things about retirement. You know, many people spend years planning for retirement and thinking they've got it all figured out until they actually retire, but there are, in my experience, a few areas where retirees really don't know as much as they think they do.
3: Okay. What is one of those areas?
1: Well, I would say that the thought that you may retire earlier than expected.
3: Oh, I know we hear that one a lot. Yeah. yeah, of, yeah. yeah it,
1: it may come as a surprise, you know, among the most critical variables determining the size of retirement person's nest egg is going to be how many years money is saved before withdrawals start. But suppose you suddenly are forced into retirement. Some 22% of the workers that are out there say they expect to wait until age 70 to retire. But unfortunately, only 9% of the retirees have actually worked as long as they thought Isn't they Isn't that were.
3: interesting because we do hear that a lot. Oh, I'm going to work as long as I can. I'm going to work past full retirement age. I'm going to postpone retirement until I'm in my 70s. And yet it says here less than 10% of people actually really do that. Well, Doug, yeah,
1: l- l- let me let me add a little more to that because this is a big thing thinking you're going to retire at a certain date you're going to work until that time and then unfortunately It doesn't happen that way. Uh, A sizable number of retirees actually leave the workforce earlier than planned for negative reasons. Uh, About half of them retired early. Unfortunately, it was because of health problems or disability. A lot of others are forced out of a job just because of changes at their company. And for some early retirees, it's health problems of a spouse. Or another family member that led to leaving the full time job.
3: So isn't that interesting? As much as you might be planning on working until you're seventy or seventy years old, usually you're most people are not that lucky either that, you get sick, your your spouse gets sick, a child gets sick, um, you know there are a lot of other real life, or there's a disability involved, and you just can't. Things happen. Things
1: really do happen, and that's what financial planning is all about, Deborah. For those who had actually banked on working longer to save more, suddenly it means having to start drawing down. Ooh, and so now it's it's a double problem. Also, signing up for Social Security earlier than planned. Maybe another problem. So this is the first thing that goes wrong with thinking you know what's happening in retiring.
3: Thinking that you just have you know an unlimited amount of time to save as much as you are going to need for retirement. Well, number two, it looks like um, uh, the second thing that you may not know about retirement is it's not easy to get back into the workplace. Yeah, a
1: lot of people think, oh well, I'll just go back to work and everything. But forced unemployment typically means. They'll seek re-employment comparative to the, comparable or comparable to the same job skills. For some, the very health issues that prompted the early retirement in the first place is going to limit their ability to work. So you may find, as a lot of our clients have told us, it's not so easy to get back into the workplace once you've come out of it.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919-872-7000. Well, number three is you'll regret buying that second home. Oh, wow.
1: Some retirees have a dream to buy the second home, to live in part-time, eventually sell their primary home. But the advice from a lot of planners that I know is don't do it. Our experience with the second home has generally been that they're expensive, they're a hassle, and they're a mistake. Clients could stay at the Ritz-Carlton when they go to their second home area for far less, and they don't have the hassles (laughs) of the frozen pipes, the neighborhood disputes, the volatile housing values. So, uh, probably... Buying that second dream home is going to be a regret.
3: All right, so these are things you 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 think you know about retirement, but may not know until you actually retire. Right. It's you. You're probably going to have to retire earlier, so don't expect to be able to save indefinitely or until age seventy. Number two, you're not. It's not going to be if you have to go back to work after retirement. It's not going to be as easy as you think. Right. And number three, if you were planning on um, having a second home to enjoy and visit and take care of while you were in retirement, it's it's going to probably be a lot more work than it will be ever the enjoyment of it.
1: That's right. Now, now there's, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there are more, there's more, Deborah. Go
3: ahead. Well, I
1: can think of a fourth one, Medicare. Medicare is not going to cover what you think it does. It's no secret that health costs are a major burden. But many people wrongly assume that once they pass age 65, then Medicare is going to be there to deal with all the problems. And that's not even close to true. Traditional Medicare, that's the federal health insurance program, only covers on average about 48% of an enrollee's health cost. You've got routine costs that Medicare generally doesn't cover, such as eyeglasses, hearing aids, dental care, where it's easy to rack up bills totaling thousands of dollars, root canals. All these aren't covered. And retirees still have to pay the deductibles, which when dealing with serious illnesses can quickly run up a nice tab also so so medicare isn't going to be covering what you think it's going to cover for sure and medicare doesn't cover the cost of Long-term nursing care facilities or home health care.
3: I think, yeah, I think a lot of people um, don't don't consider that about retirement. Well, and your budget is unrealistic is is the last thing that you may not know about retirement. And a major part of retirement planning is figuring out how much money you'll need. This usually focuses on generating the income needed to sustain a particular standard of living. And many people will work on an assumption that they will spend less when they're no longer working. Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) It's true, you might have lower taxes and the end of a retirement account contribution would mean that you would have more take home uh, or you would have uh, that one less expense. But retirees don't account for the general rise in out-of-pocket spending, especially when retirees are young and healthy. That's when they have more time to go out, shop, and travel. (laughs) Well,
1: yeah, that's when all of a sudden they say, Now let's take the Alaska trip, Mm -hmm. you know, and now let's do this, and now let's do that. And they were never factoring those in when they were getting their budget before they retired. Right, right. So you're right, Deborah. The fifth serious misconception about retirement is that your budget is probably very unrealistic.
3: Well, of course, that's what we do at our office. That, very much so. We spend we spend more time talking about living expense needs and how that je- that is the the um, the movement that everything is either moving uh, towards or able it, or we know that we are financially independent once we're we'll able to cover that and uh, the living expenses whether you are preparing to manage next year's expenses or in preparation for retirement planning. You know, starting with the living expense needs now, that means that you're in a good habit of knowing what you need to cover for next year and thereafter. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website i Hi,
1: Melvin. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Uh, good afternoon. All yeah. right. Uh, I have a question. Let's. I have some stock. We'll call it Bank A. Okay. We've had it for a considerable number of years, 15 mm-hmm. to 20 years. Bank A is now merged or has merged just recently with Bank B. Right. Now, the uh, price of the stock, we are getting... Three quarters of a share of stock in Bank B for every one share of stock that we had in Bank A. Right. Follow it? Right. And, uh, my question is, uh, if I choose to sell some of the new stock, Bank B, what will be the, uh, pro- let's say it's $50 a share. Right. Uh, when I, when we, when the merger takes place, we have uh, that stock and the price of it is $50 a share. All right. what uh, if I choose to sell some of that stock how do I go about uh, figuring uh, the gain or the loss
1: well I think what you're saying is you buy uh, you're getting a three quarter for one reverse split that's is right. what you're getting and basically the dollar amount is what transfer is over your original basis of what you paid for bank a stock uh-huh. right that is exactly the the basis in the new stock. There is no change in your basis. Uh So, you simply need to go ahead and figure out and actually it'd be pretty simple because it's the same number of dollars if you sell X number of dollars of Bank A or Bank B, it would be the same thing. Uh So, you simply want to go ahead and compute how much is the basis on the share of the new stock versus the basis on the share of the old stock, get it down to per share, and then go back and and do it the same way as if you had sold Bank A stock. I
4: would have had to keep pretty good records to know what I paid for the stock 20 years ago,
1: wouldn't I? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The best thing, next best thing, how much, how much is the stock right now worth?
4: uh, Altogether. Considerable.
1: Are you talking about 10,000 or 10 million?
4: About
1: 300,000. Okay. Well, $300,000. I, if you have a zero basis, then you're facing a capital gain and uh, of $300,000. Yep. So basically, the worst it can happen is $85,000 of taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there is a way to avoid all of the capital gain, you realize. You don't have to pay any capital gain tax if you use a Section 664 trust. I guess Have you heard me and Linda talk about that on the no, air before? I, no, I
4: haven't. A Section 64
1: trust? Uh, it's called a Section 664 trust.
4: 664 trust.
1: trust. Uh, yes. Now, is... Uh, I need to know a little bit more about your situation to tell you whether it might be suitable for you. How old are you, Melvin? 68. You're 68, you're 68 no years debts. old. Retired, no debts. Married or single? Married. Married. No dependents. No dependents. No uh, what about the rest of your estate? Is your, What's the total value of the combined estate between you and your wife approximately?
4: Probably a million, million and a half dollars.
1: Okay. Well, you're in an interesting uh, position because you're right on a threshold there. Of course, if $300,000 uh, is uh, is going to grow, which, of course, you should sell it and reposition it because only because you think that you can get better growth. And I agree with that. I don't like holding individual stocks. I think that you're better off holding portfolios of mutual funds or pools of, for, to reduce your risk. Uh-huh. But assuming that you did go ahead and get that reposition, then you would have... to say, how much will that be over my lifetime? And if you did that and said, well, I'm 68, I might live 20 years more, right? Something like that. Uh Assuming your $300,000 grows to be $2 million over your lifetime, which Uh is not unlikely. Mm -hmm. The section 664 trust is a way that you can get about three benefits in one. You do not. This is something you don't want to try on your own. You want to meet with a certified financial planner. Uh, if you choose to meet with me in my and in my firm, uh, Linda can give you our offices because this is what we do during ninety-five percent of the year, except Sunday evening. We uh, we practice financial planning. We do a lot of these six sixty-four trusts.
2: Our number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand USA seven thousand.
1: But the way it would work is this: you can set up a Section six sixty-four trust and then transfer the stock to the trust. Mm -hmm. The trust then has the ability to sell the stock and pay no capital gains tax. Uh Now you'd have the entire $300,000 inside the trust. Uh Now in the design of the... What access do I have to the trust? Well, it depends on who is the trustee. There are six what we call players to the trust. There's the donor, and of course that's you. Yeah. Then there's the trustee. Now, typically in a Section 664 trust, you would choose a university or a charity to be the trustee. Mm-hmm. I don't like that structure. I prefer that you make yourself the trustee. Yes. So then you would basically be giving the money from yourself as donor to yourself as trustee. Now, I like then, that. Yes. Uh, the only thing is, the IRS may or may not like it depending on whether they think you can cheat. Uh-huh. So. If you want to do make yourself your own trustee, you need to put in another player to be able to always show the IRS that you're not cheating, and that player would be what's called an administrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you can use an accountant to be an administrator, or you can use a bank. Uh, those are somewhat more expensive. I like the the independent administrators that simply go ahead, and basically all the administrator does is keep the books and records and uh-huh. produce the tax return for the trust. Yeah. Uh they're not too expensive and and, and, and and they're pretty common. I like to choose those as an independent administrator that has no bone to pick with you, no no product or anything to sell you. Uh-huh. Uh, then there is another player called the income beneficiary, and that should be you and your wife. Mm-hmm. So now the trustee will pay the income beneficiary for the rest of their lives, which is another way of saying you will end up paying you and your wife the rest of your lives. Of course, you have to put a a successor trustee in case you die before your wife, Uh and that could be your wife. She could be the successor trustee. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, you then want to have a what's called a charitable, a non profit beneficiary, who gets the remainder after you and your wife are gone, Uh and that can be any non profit institution that you want. It can be the Boys Club. It can be your university. It can even be a foundation named in your honor to run perpetually to sprinkle to lots of different nonprofits at the direction maybe of your children if they chose to be the ones that directed how this should go on.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And, now, uh, and then, of course, you come to the uh, question of the investment advisor. Typically, in, a, in an arrangement like this, uh, um, the clients that I work with choose me as the investment advisor. They choose themselves as the trustee. They choose themselves as the income beneficiary. And then we name an independent administrator. And most of them like to set up a family foundation for the charitable beneficiary to let it sprinkle to lots of different charities. And then the trustee has the right to fire the investment advisor, namely myself, fire the administrator, and all the control is in the trustee's hands. Mm -hmm. Now, the trustee then goes ahead and reinvest all the money after the stock has been sold, pays no taxes, and puts it into maybe the kinds of mutual funds that you would have done on your own. The only trade-off here is that basically at the last death, your children, if they were to have gotten all of this, if it stayed in your portfolio, in your estate, your children would have been disinherited of this portion of the estate.
3: Oh, yes. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to speak about your situation and to set up an appointment. 919-872-7000.
1: So, and for some parents, they say, that's fine. I'm leaving them enough with the rest of my portfolio. Other parents say, well, it doesn't matter anyway, because the estate tax was going to take a big hit out of it. But others say, well, is there a way that we can have our cake and eat it too? And there is a way to do that you can actually set up another trust, which we call a wealth replacement trust. And that trust buys life insurance for about $300,000 on your lives, Uh unless both of you are uninsurable. Are both of you uninsurable? Or I should say, is either one of you... We would not be uninsurable. All right. So as long as one of you is not uninsurable, then this second trust buys an inexpensive, what we call second-to-die policy, meaning that only after the last of the two of you passes away, and there's no more need for the income to come out of the six sixty-four trust, then the, the the uh the insurance pays out to the heirs, uh to replace what went over to the found fa- to the foundation. You see what I'm saying? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful strategy. It's, it's been one- very helpful. It's very it's a it's a it's a it's a useful strategy. It's a way to avoid Now, again, this would depend on the total basis of your stocks. If you don't have, but if you've held the stock for 15 years, you've probably got a low basis.
2: How many grown kids do you have, Melvin? Three. You have three grown. Three.
1: Uh In, In computing, oh, I should say there's one other benefit you get. Of course, we've named two benefits already. You avoided the capital gain tax. Actually, we've named three benefits, haven't we? Yeah. We've avoided the capital gain tax. We kept the entire amount intact, which means let's say the charitable let's say the the the, the investments were going to give you an 8% yield paying out to you then if you had lost 85,000 of it then it would have been maybe 215,000 paying 8%. right this way you'd have the whole 300,000 paying the 8%. Mm-hmm. uh so that's uh more income to you which is the second benefit but the third benefit that you get is you actually get a tax deduction for doing this.
4: What uh, amount of deduction would you have on that?
1: Uh, the the amount. deduction is based on a computation, which varies according to a couple of things. And so I can't give you a fixed answer over the phone because we would have to design the trust. But it's based on how much the payout wants to be and your life expectancy. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a seesaw. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want the biggest deduction you can get, then you choose a 5% payout on your trust. Mm-hmm. If you want the smallest deduction, then you might get up to nine or ten or eleven percent payout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you will get a deduction for a portion of the three hundred thousand. You know, maybe you'll get a thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollar tax deduction. Yes.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, in addition to saving all of the capital
4: gains. Well, you've been very helpful. Thank you. I appreciate now, it.
2: Write your questions down, Melvin. And I don't know if you want to call the office, but if you do, our number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand. 872 7000. 7, That's USA 7000. Okay. Thanks for calling.
1: What about international investing, Deborah?
3: Well, international investing, um, I love this topic because uh, shares of, of foreign companies can be quite scary as a topic, but foreign uh, investments within the mutual fund world definitely tempers that. Do we have a caller to?
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit while we're finding out who's who's dialing in, Deborah. Sure,
3: no problem. So one of the topics in, in the world of mutual funds that are available are international mutual funds. And these are funds where those money managers are going to be buying and selling foreign company stocks.
1: Experts are going to say that a stock portfolio that is widely diversified internationally can actually provide protection against a prolonged downturn in an investor's home market like the USA. Uh, And uh, really US stocks have been looking to a lot of people more expensive than many foreign markets appear. And so really uh, it is possible to take a look at adding international mutual funds to actually not add more risk but add more safety to the portfolio.
3: And a lot of people, I think, feel that it can be risky, but really the real risk that you face is that you're going to have crummy returns in one part of your portfolio over 30 years, and you're certainly reducing that risk if you are internationally diversified. So having investments, mutual funds that have... um, I stocks of companies in the United States and stocks of companies that are outside the United States can definitely help us in diversification. Owning shares in large multinational companies isn't the same thing as owning shares in companies in foreign markets. And I think here, this is where we really focus on an actively managed fund is where the manager is able to Really, really be able to choose the companies that are going to be able to do the best. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000. And I believe we have another caller. Hi,
1: Kate. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
3: Uh, we have been talking to a financial
5: planner, and he has suggested a variable annuity. Uh, to supplement some of our other retirement investments. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know what your opinion of of that kind of an investment is.
1: Tell me a little bit about your situation, and maybe I can fine-tune my answer. Okay. How old are you?
5: 59.
1: You're 59 years old. Are you married or single? Married. Married. What's your income?
5: Uh, About nine. Well, now it's very much lower than it used to be. It's about uh, 65000 a year now.
1: 60, and that's coming from the husband or the wife? The husband. That's coming from the husband. Is the wife getting a, making, is she, does she bring any income in?
5: Very small amount.
1: All right. Now, the wife or the husband, who's 59? I am. The wife is 59. How old is the husband?
5: 61.
1: Husband's 61.
5: And he will be fully retired when he reaches 62.
1: All right. So his income is going to drop next year. Yes. All right. Now, looking at retirement income... Well, first of all, let's well, take... Well,
5: let, let me back up. His his He's partially retired now, which is why his income has already dropped. All right. But actually, his income should increase when he's totally retired because of the investments we have.
1: Well, I'm going to ask you about that next. Okay. But I want to know about the guaranteed income uh-huh. uh, from his pension, and is he going to take early Social Security, or what's he yes. going to do? Yes. Okay, so what is the estimated guaranteed income could be next year when he's 62?
5: Uh, I, I only think in after tax terms. (laughs) Okay. So that's what I'll give you. All right. It's about 50,000 a year.
1: All right. So it could be about $50,000 guaranteed. And then what are your living expenses on an annual basis? Uh, I imagine the financial planner went over that in depth with you. You know what? What?
5: I, I don't know the answer to that question. I could do it, but not I'd hold you on the
1: phone Well, I mean, when you met with your financial planner, didn't you spend a lot of time going over your expenses? No, we didn't. Then you didn't meet with the financial planner. Okay. No, you must have met with a salesperson.
5: Well, actually, it was a salesperson. Okay. He's the one who's trying to sell this.
1: Well, we want to be very careful about definitions. You see, uh, we want to find out... A financial planner plans, uh-huh. and they, and a, a, a true financial planner, a certified financial planner who is charging you a fee for the time you're spending there with them, whether it's an hourly fee or a fixed fee, which is the only kind that you should be seeing, by the way, that kind of planner should start with your living expense needs and then back into the kinds of questions.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: For the moment, let's assume that your expenses are fifty thousand a year.
5: Well, they're not, but anyway, we'll assume right. that for the okay. exercise.
1: Right. Most people underestimate their expenses. Uh, you have to build in there your desired number of vacation, uh, travel expenses. That many pe- many people travel more after they retire. Gifts to the children, uh, clothing, all the other things that happen. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying that you're absolutely sure that his pension uh, and Social Security is going to cover. Uh, your lifestyle with all the, the, the luxuries that you may or may not want, then you don't need to touch any investment income. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's the case, let's go over to the investments. What do your investments look like right now?
5: Well, our investments look very good.
1: No, I mean, what are they?
5: Oh, what are they? <laughs> They're bonds, uh, mutual funds. All
1: right. How much do you have in bonds?
5: Uh, I'm just looking here because I've got, I've got all that written out. Uh in bonds,
3: mm-hmm. we've
5: got eighty-five thousand in one bond fund. We have uh, about five thousand, five hundred thousand dollars.
1: And what else do you have? Is that main? Is that the main? Is that is that the majority of your portfolio?
5: Mm, uh, no, we've got another uh, fifty-nine thousand. Uh, we have two IRAs. One's eighty-two thousand. The other's thousand. Mm-hmm. forty-nine uh, thousand. We have some other stock investments that are around three hundred thousand in various stocks stocks and then my husband's profit sharing which he owns his own company
4: mm-hmm. at this
5: point is 310,000.
1: All right, you've got a rather complicated situation when the numbers start building up and you 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 you've got a terrible portfolio. Uh it looks it, it it just it 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 really I don't like it personally, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the air going through each of the items, but overall it looks to me like my my real question is why are you going to, for a, uh, a a variable annuity? Because a variable annuity, although it will let you defer income, i mean, defer paying tax on the growth—it's going to also be taxable in your estate at the time that you die, and there'll be no step-up in basis. Okay. So well, that's—I
5: mean, we're we're considering it, but uh, that's why I was calling yeah, you for your um, opinion an, an, too. Yeah,
1: annuities—you understand a variable annuity is an insurance contract, right? By the way, which one are you looking at?
5: Uh, I'd rather not go into that.
1: <laughs> because that's the crucial issue. You see, a variable annuity is an insurance contract that wraps around mutual funds. So it's the funds themselves that are the most important part, not the insurance contract. Mm-hmm.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: Annuities are insurance contracts that work sort of like a non-deductible IRA. Uh, You can put in as much as you want, but taxes are deferred until you take it out. Uh Now, you're 59, so you don't have to worry about the 59 penalty. You can start taking money out when you want, but you're paying a charge for an annuity uh, unlike a fixed annuity, which guarantees a conservative rate of return, a variable annuity lets you pick your own investments from the different menu of mutual funds, but your return is going to vary according you know, to the fund's performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the insurance portion of that variable annuity guarantees that if you die before you start withdrawing the money, then your beneficiaries are going to receive all that you put in, but they will pay tax on the increase. Mm-hmm. as opposed to if you have a half a million. How much are you going to put into the variable annuity? What were you thinking of putting in?
5: 250000
1: Okay, so you put in a quarter million dollars, and since you're only 59 years old, you're a relatively young woman, uh, you live another 35 years, and it grows to be $2 million. Well, if you had a quarter million dollars in a mutual fund that grew to be uh, a million dollars, let's say, or $2 million, and, the, and you, then you then died, they would get that amount. They could sell... That $2 million and pay no capital gains tax. I yeah.
5: think I need to call you off the air. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, and I, I, I yeah. appreciate the sensitivity of trying to be specific when, when confidentiality sometimes is very important to people. But I hope that gives you at least something to start with. It does.
5: Yeah, uh, and you
2: know, Kate, we're real happy that you and your husband, you know, you're. I'm sure you're hardworking people. You've accumulated these assets. You've been blessed. But... You want to have some direction, right? Right. So that, you know, whatever his exit strategy is from the business, and, of course, when you all decide you're not going to be working.
1: That's next year.
2: Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. When you wanted to, to just be retired and travel and do the things that that you that interest you at this stage of your life, that you'll be able to do it with ease. Mm-hmm. And uh, working with a financial planner, and, and particularly a certified financial planner that's fee-based, can assist you in helping you and your husband get that direction. Yeah, Kate, if you'll call the office, I'll be happy to go through that in detail. Uh-huh. That number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000.
3: Okay. Bye-bye now. Now, we have a caller who doesn't want to be on the, the 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 show tonight, Doug. Can we read his question and see if we might be able to speak to answering it?
1: Yeah, it's a little difficult without having specifics. And uh, it's unfortunate the way he puts his question, because so often people think there's a little formula that you apply to everything. His question is, what are the pros and cons of taking out Social Security at the earliest time versus waiting and, okay. we, of course, we have many times in our office, we have advised clients, take out your Social Security as soon as you can at age 62. And other times, we tell them to go ahead and wait till you're 66 when you can get your full retirement. Right. Uh, and then every now and then, people come in, and they want to know, should I wait right. until I'm 70?
3: Well, let me let me just ask you, uh, say this, Doug, since um, we're sort of speaking with a, a lot of unknowns. If the question is framed in the... Uh, in in the environment of, I don't need to use my Social Security to live off of, so therefore, should I take it now or should I take it later? Well, that's
1: a good way. Okay. If,
3: if, the fr- if it's just framed up in that, I don't have to use it to live off of, should I take it now or should I take it later? Since we don't know about this gentleman's situation. Well,
1: of course, my advice is you should take it because... If your investment portfolio, let's say, has been growing at seven percent a year, eight percent a year, ten percent a year, whatever it is, for the last ten years, then you will make more money dollar mm. cost averaging that into your portfolio rather than leaving it there with Social Security Administration and only knowing that next year, the year you wait, it'll give you eight percent higher uh, check. That is not a, that's not a good deal. On the other hand, yes. If you, if you are able to keep working and push your retirement up and you're going to need that Social Security check, then yeah. Then you want to go ahead and maybe hold back.
3: But this is the kind of question as a great example you know thank you to our listener who who asked the question um, if if you want a real answer to this question like most people do they you know you can read all the generalizations you can you know spend the hours on on the internet in the newspaper this will never answer your question. So if you would like for us to answer your question caller specifically, please call me during the week. I will I will give you a real specific answer to your question as to whether or not it would work for you And I think that'd be much more meaningful than just what's the generalization as to what what are the pros and cons of what's, there's pros and cons that won't apply to you. Let me let me help you whittle down these options to the ones that apply to you. Yeah, there is. And our yeah, number there here, is, yeah, in, in Raleigh is 919-872-7000.
1: That reminds me, Deborah, as to a headline story, and I think it's today's News and Observer. Was it today's or was it yesterday's? On uh, the new form, these new little software packages that will do financial planning for you. Did you
3: see that article? I did. I, I, I think you're talking about. Are you talking about the one that was like replacing um, advisors? Yes. Okay, so that was yesterday's paper, and it was in the Wall Street Journal section. And uh, they were talking about how um, there are actually online financial advising sites that will do it for you.
1: Yeah, and what I really enjoyed reading that article was it was a nonsense piece. (laughs) Exactly. It was totally absurd. Right. Because you can't replace wisdom that's inside a financial advisor or a financial planner's head with a little software. Right. I mean, that's like, not wh- real life.
3: Like, what are you going to do with the pros and cons of social- taking Social Security or not? That has nothing to do with you or your situation. Do you need it to live off of? Yes or no. If you don't, then it becomes a whole other series right. of Right. Does your wife
1: have a have a medical <laughs> issue? Right, right, Are you trying to help your children <laughs> right. pay down their mortgage? Right. All these things, you can't go ahead and get and replace the wisdom of the certified financial planner. right. You need to be working with someone who is a fiduciary, which means he is putting your interest ahead of his own. He's not trying to sell you any products. He's right. trying to go in and give you advice. Right. What's best for you. Right. And I think the social security question comes up quite a bit. I've seen all it kinds does. of little uh, social uh, software analyses, but they, they they never pertain to the specific individual and situation. And this is, this
3: is where um, you, you really can... Y- uh, use the benefit of calling us during the week and um, speaking with me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000, so that I can answer your specific question. There was an interesting article about how to be a 401k millionaire, and it, it made some really good points that I wanted to bring out to any of our younger uh, listeners. If you are wondering, what does it take to be a millionaire? Here's some things.
1: Well, you don't have to make millions in income to become a 401k millionaire.
3: Yay! You don't have to. <laughs> you know, That's the first uh, piece of good news. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Well, there was a study that analyzed the savings habits of about 1,000 401k investors who earned less than 150000 a year and had also accumulated more than a million dollars in their 401k. And... They came up with the results of how these ones had reached that million-dollar mark.
3: All right. Looks like there's three big things. One, they started young. Yes. Two, uh, Two, they always took advantage of the company match. So, that's participating in our 401k up to the match amount. Right. And three, they saved a large chunk of their pay each year, and that's personal investing. That's right. The whole key is you
1: have to start saving and start saving early. I'll give you an example. A 25-year-old who only earns $40,000 a year will only need to save about 20% of her salary each year to hit that million-dollar mark by age 67. That's all. And that only assumes that her salary grows 1.5% a year, and her investments only grow at 5.5% a year.
3: Very nice. All she has to do is stick to that 20% savings of her salary each year. Well, that that's hopeful. If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us, set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Okay, let's take a caller. Carol,
1: I'll take your call now. How can I help you?
3: I appreciate you taking the call, sir. All right. Got a
6: question about living trust. Yes, ma'am. I just recently closed an estate of an uncle who died, and I was an out-of-state resident from where he lived. Mm -hmm. And the fees I paid for probate, to sell the house, to bonding, and everything else just horrified me because everything was set. He had a neat will. There was no question among the inheritors or anything like this. But the fees we had to pay made me look into living trust.
1: How much was the estate, Carol?
6: About 600000
1: What were the fees?
6: I think I paid up to about $24,000. That
1: sounds about right. Okay.
6: So I thought about the living trust, and I've been inquiring locally about this kind of thing. I've read the books on it, and it sounds good. Uh-huh. But then I found out the bank says, well, we charge 2 to 3% of the value annually. Ouch. If I had $500,000 in an estate, uh-huh. that's not out of sight because of houses today. I'm going to be paying 5,000 a year, 2
1: to 3%. You're only getting half the picture, okay? Mhm. First of all, how much is the size of your estate?
6: Probably about 700,000.
1: What you want to do, number 1, don't deal with the bank. Oh? Huh? A revocable living trust does not replace a will. No, this I this So, number 2, you want to establish a revocable living trust today. hmm How's your health? Excellent. All right. You want to go ahead and identify yourself as the trustee of this trust.
6: hmm
1: And as the trustee, you will control everything.
6: hmm That I understand from what I've read. What
1: What do you own besides real estate? Oh,
6: 250000 in stock, $250,000 t bills odds and ends in unit trusts.
1: All right. If you want to go ahead, you can have the the ownership of your stocks and your T-bills. You can have them transferred into the name of you as trustee Mm -hmm. for that trust. Yeah, this I understand. Well, so far, we haven't got a bank in any picture, do we? If you will call my office, I'll be happy to go ahead and help you set one of these up. We do these all the time for clients. We have uh, an attorney that either your attorney or we select an attorney who drafts the document. We then transfer the ownership of your assets into the ownership of your trust with you as trustee, any uh, of your stocks. If they're held at a brokerage account or if they're mutual funds, we simply have the ownership changed from your name individual to trustee. But as far as the establishment of the revocable living Mm trust… You do not have to have a bank involved at all. I'll be done. And in your revocable living trust, you should have it designated that you have the North Carolina Health Care Powers of Attorney provisions written, uh, written in there. You should have living will provisions oh, put yeah. in there. I
2: have those already. Carol, uh, we did have one client that who, within the last month, and she's, a, uh, I think, about 69, and she had one of these revocable living trusts set up for her, her estate. Mm-hmm. And she does not have any children, mm-hmm. but she did incorporate the setting up of, you know, the trust in her estate planning in with her financial planning as well. Because what we find is that individuals that have accumulated a certain amount of assets want to protect it. And
6: well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little amazed when I retired and find out what I had.
2: Yeah. Do you have children, Carol? No. Okay.
1: Well, the things that you might want to also incorporate into total financial plannings, so you want to cover asset allocation of your investments, I I don't have time on the air, but I would question right away why a lady like yourself has $250,000 in the stock market. That sounds a little risky to me.
6: No, that's about one-third of my estate. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but in any case... It's
6: grown through the years. I've been planning.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: And I uh, started out 20 years ago with my husband's life insurance. Yeah, and, uh, boy, I'm amazed at what it is now. I can't sell anything. It's all capital
1: gains. <laughs> uh, well, I can show you a way to sell it and pay no capital gains also. Now, what's uh, that
6: number I should
2: call? <laughs> okay, that number, Carol, here in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. 872-7000. That's USA 7000.
1: Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, very good.
2: Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for your calling.
1: Time. Thank you, Carol. Bye-bye. Well, that's all the money matters we have time for today so we want to thank all our listeners for joining us and for any other questions you may have call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally that number is 919-872-7000 that's 919-USA-7000 and we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time in the meantime have a great week and remember your money matters because your financial future is at stake